Fred Chevry is a hardcore entrepreneur through and through. He was a professional bodybuilder and he started his personal training business before apps were even a thing and before online platforms had really even taken off. Nowadays, Fred owns his own personal training app and has hundreds of clients across the globe. Let's hear more about Fred's story and how he built his business on today's show. Fred, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, so for the people who don't know you, uh, let's just kind of get into a little bit about your background. So where were you born? I just want to give you props first because, I mean, what you did is pretty cool. Like, Thank you. Can I, can I just say that you, first? Like you how sure we met, can. you know. Uh, that, was, that was a crazy turn of fate too. Absolutely. Because it was his second day at a new gym in a new city. Uh-huh. And I literally just kind of had one of those sparks of motivation where I was like, all right, it's time. I'm getting in shape. So <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I, went, cool. I went to the gym yeah. after they were already like, there was nobody working mm-hmm. there at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just like walked, was walking around trying to find somebody who works there to sign up for a membership. And I just ran into Fred. I was like, Does, is anybody here? Is anybody working here? And you're like, no, I don't know, but I can, I can call somebody for you. And you're like, yeah, I'm Fred. Yeah. I was like, actually, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm looking to start a membership. My wife's here and I, I, I want a trainer too. And you're like, oh, I'm a trainer. And it was just like yeah. fate. So Yeah, it was a nice moment of synchronicity. It worked for both of us. And then since, I mean, uh, you've lost what? How much weight? 30, 30 pounds. 30 pounds, and it was very straightforward, right? 30 so, pounds, yeah. straightforward. So congrats, bro. Thank yeah, you. So what was your question? Where were you born? What was what was growing up like? Where did that happen? I'm going to skip a lot of that because honestly, <laughs> my youth was boring as fuck. Yeah? Um, we're starting with the cursing already. Right? We can we okay, can handle right. it. We can handle it. So I was born in kind of a northeast Canada. So I'm Canadian originally. Yeah, I'm still actually technically Canadian. I'm getting my U.S. citizenship this uh, one, 2023. I'll get that. You are the most American Canadian I've ever met. I think I must say. I was always like that. (laughs) That's why I hated it there. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up there. uh, Very typical childhood. uh, Single mom. Um, Honestly, elementary school, high school, nothing really eventful. I was just a normal guy, you know, everyone's pretty much like that over there. There's not much going on, so you don't have a whole lot of hustlers and that kind of stuff. I was yeah. not raised in a family of entrepreneurs, although my dad was a small business owner. Yeah. Uh, very small, almost self-employed. At some point, you have to decide to ask you, what do you want to do later in life? Because now you need to go to college. And I had no clue, so people generally just picked up, like, teacher, engineer, or, like, police firefighters i was like oh, i'm gonna be a police yeah the kind of the weightlifting started there but it wasn't like anything serious i was just yeah but it was still a start of something so <clears throat> i was skinny dude back then i was uh, 128 pounds and i'm five six so um you know had i was super skinny no wow. muscles no nothing like that uh, i played basketball which you know when you're five six five seven you don't have a big basketball career ahead sure. of you so yeah but I did decent in football anyway, so I started lifting weights, and uh, then I started the whole police thing and the criminal justice. It took me like a year to get in, so after I graduated um, from college, uh, like maybe four years after high school, then went to the academy, and I was just, I was just still not in the fitness thing. I was just lifting weights. I got my heaviest at that point, by the way. I was like fat, man. I was <laughs> like all the way bulked up. I went straight from... 128 to 204 that was my 
but over 10 years right it's so hard for me to imagine you in both situations like it's hard to me for me to imagine you 128 and it's hard for me to imagine you like chubby yeah so yeah yeah well i mean it was a long time ago now yeah so i did the police academy and when i finished the academy um the only place i wanted to work at they weren't strike so they weren't hiring at all wow so that's when i started my fitness stuff because i already started uh, right when i left the academy i was i was too soft i didn't like the way i looked and uh, even though I, at that point i trained already for 10 years lifting mm -hmm. weights but i was like look i should be looking better than that for someone who's been training for 10 years so obviously there's something i'm doing wrong and someone introduced me to bodybuilding um right after the academy I kind of started playing with that a little bit on my own. Yeah. And I did the first little cut and I lost some weight and I thought it was cool. And um, then when I saw it worked, but I obviously didn't understand really yeah. the science of it. And the results were a little slow. I hired a bodybuilding coach. Uh, he was a natural bodybuilder from the 90s. So up until then, it was really just kind of a hobby because you were, you were in the police academy and it was really just something you were doing here and there to stay in shape i was just an average gym bro gotcha okay. like i was still lifting a couple of days a week all of that building muscles gotcha. i like the way it looked especially if you're not a tall guy it's kind of feels a bit more comfortable to be a little bit wider you don't want i didn't feel like I, to me it didn't feel right to be to look like a twig yeah so i felt a little bit more comfortable being bulked up and mind you i wanted to be police right and yeah. i want to make the swat team so I knew I would have needed a little bit more size to be able to be competitive in that market. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started is you, you initially were looking at the whole fitness world as a way to get you further in your like criminal justice career. No, not even at that point, man. No. That was just something I did like casually. Okay. So then like fast forward a little bit, what was it that you started to get turned off at the idea of being a police officer or on the SWAT team? Or did you kind of develop a overwhelming passion for fitness? Uh, what happened is that I was really highly motivated on being a cop at that point. And um, so they weren't hiring for two years. So this was a whole province in Canada? That, uh, was, that, was, the, that was in the city of Montreal. Okay. So a lot of places are really rural. I had no interest in working there because you just park and watching a field. Yeah. So I wanted some action and Montreal is in the province of Quebec is pretty much the only big city. While I was waiting on the academy, I was working as a private investigator, but I didn't like it that much. It was just, it sounds good, but working as a PI was boring. Like money was all right. And it was kind of scratching the itch a little bit, but not that much. So down the line, when I was seeing that uh, the police thing was kind of trailing and I had no interest in looking anywhere else, I told my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time, I told her, Look, I could take some personal train clients. Um, I could train some people. They would be a little bit more interesting for me. And I can do that until the police jobs uh, start uh, being op a little bit more open. And uh, that's what I did. So I quit my job as a PI and uh, I started taking personal training clients. So that was really the beginning, like day one. Yeah. But also at that point, I already wanted to do some online coaching stuff, which is yeah. really common and known nowadays in this day and age but back then even just roll it back 10 years ago it was really fringe like it was not something people were doing so when so when you say coaching people online and this is this is what 10 years ago 
Yeah. So we're talking before Zoom, before yeah, FaceTime, correct. before this is like Skype era. At Skype this era, point. yeah. <clears throat> correct. So when you say training somebody online, what did that look like? That's like designing so, meal plans or workouts? Yeah. At first, bro, I, that's going to sound like it's straight from the 90s. It was just phone and emails. Wow. Phone and emails. So you guys are like emailing each other back and forth once per day or once or twice a week. Something like phone once a week and emails for the plans. So it's like, imagine I call you over the phone and it's like we talk a little bit about whatever the goals and, and then I email you a diet and a workout plan. That's so crazy just to think about what the beginning <laughs> stages are. Cause Shit. like my experience with you is I like, know. we sit down, you're like, here, okay, so just click this link and I'm redirected to your app. And in one app, I've got my workouts, my meal plan, I've got our stats tracked video over chat, time, yeah. like video chat, like LinkedIn, app, like, you know? yeah. yeah. That's crazy to think about emailing back and forth and doing it over the phone, yeah. It's just how it was, but the yeah. idea was the same. So that's something that hasn't changed. The, yeah. the principle was always, be, and of course, then something's important to say for people listening to us that, like your personal training client of mine, so it's a little bit different, right? Yeah. But you're also an online client. So all my gym clients, which is very few people, I only train four people a day. Um, all my gym clients are also online clients. So the only difference with you and someone who lives in New York State or in Canada or India or uh, Austria or whatnot, the only difference is that on top of the app and all of that I'm doing for you, then we train together at the yeah. gym as well. Gotcha. So that's kind of a add-on on top. Right. So obviously my online clients don't have that that presence at the gym, but through the app and the video tutorials, yeah. that's what they have. So but that's the only difference. They're still getting a, a specifically tailored workout split for them. They're still getting a, a meal plan tailored to them. They're still getting coaching calls with you once yeah. a week, twice, twice a month, whatever Correct. they need. Yeah. Their experience is actually online is a little bit more than yours because certain things I'm not doing online with you because I see you at yeah, the gym. So exactly. it's like, there's no need for us to have a live call right, and certain it's just tools like, that I use. It's just like, I'll see you Friday. Yeah, yeah exactly. Gotcha. So it's a, little bit, it's a little bit different in that regard, but you get the idea. I think you know. For sure, for right. sure. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit to like when you, when you were actually learning about bodybuilding yeah. and all of that. You, you said you had a mentor who was a natural bodybuilder. Correct. So first thought, when you say natural bodybuilder, what do you mean? I mean, no, no drugs. No drugs. It's a line that could be debated, but I'm pretty much of a purist on that. Uh, uh, of course, like caffeine is a drug. Sure. Um, and so we're talking no steroids. No performance enhancing drugs. Although gotcha. caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. Technically, yeah. Anything that I have a doubt, it's pretty much to me, it's off limits. Okay. So uh, everything that's anabolics, that's out. And there's some things in the last couple of years that were kind of in between. So pre some people were arguing that they shouldn't be considered unnatural. To me, they are. Yeah. And I don't mind those for other people. Hey, you do you. I know plenty of people are yeah. using all sorts of gear. Uh, gear is the street name for Street name, yeah. got you. And to me, I stick with things you can find at your local supplement store. Yeah. Again, the line could be blurry because in Mexico, I have a friend there, his name is Rob, he's also a professional bodybuilder, very successful there. And uh, over there, the drugs are, uh, you don't need a prescription. 
So you yeah. just go to your pharmacy, you can ask for steroids. So over there, the conversation is a little bit more open about that. It's a little different because there's not as much stigma over there. They treat it a little bit more like supplements. So gotcha. when you look at his stuff and you listen to his podcasts, uh, and you even had, a, I had one of these uh, live calls with him and um, it was kind of educating his people to the difference because sometimes on the other side, it's a little bit too geared towards the use of drugs yeah and they want to tell them like look certain things we're using here even though it's it's accepted and, and you don't need a prescription it's still not super clean be careful gotcha so you've always you've always stuck 100 percent natural 100%. and and is that would you say that's mostly due to the way you look at it for uh, your health or is that more just like a moral thing like when I started, the reason I didn't take any steroids is because of the police thing. I know yeah. people might laugh and say, yeah, you could use drugs. Plenty of police are uh, on steroids. Sure. I get it. But to be hired, you got to understand that the process that we're going through was so demanding yeah. and so selective that you don't want to risk it. Yeah. So we had drug tests all the time. And over there, even if you manage to put yourself to the criminal justice program, um, which takes a while, it's still three years of your life, only a third of the people that make it, make it to the academy. Yeah. And when I graduated, only 11% of my promotion got a permanent job within the next two years. Wow. So you don't want to risk it. So for me, like drugs were off limits, like anything. Your mentor was the same way. Your, your bodybuilding mentor was the same yeah, way. Yeah, you know what? Why Johnny, uh, his name is Johnny, why he always stayed natural? He was just really passionate about natural bodybuilding. Gotcha. I was more concerned about like, look, I just don't want to touch nothing and risk it. Yeah. Then after that, when I decided not to be police and I just was doing the fitness thing, uh, I think it was mostly just to see how far I could take it because I was making super good progress. So I was like, there's no need for me to take any stuff like that. Yeah. I already turned pro. I'm already doing very well. And then later on, it was more like being mindful of the, uh, the health concerns with yeah. drugs. So there was always something that kept me like, I kind of prefer not to touch that. Yeah, because you were telling me, I mean, uh, like a lot, it's, it's very common, right? In the, in the well, professional, in the the professional bodybuilding. The, the exception the is natural. The norm is using yeah. it. And you're saying that a lot of these, a lot of these guys end up with serious health issues right after they're right after they stop. Is that right? Or? I'm not going to hear and tell you, be here and tell you that someone who's doing uh, uh, doctors prescribed TRT testosterone replacement therapy from a clinic will be risking his life. Yeah. Obviously, that's very mild. That's controlled. You get blood tests and all of that. Uh, so that's pretty much on the safe side. But when it comes to professional bodybuilding, we're talking about straight up drug abuse. Yeah. So there's a difference between mild drug use, which is yeah. already off uh, off limits for me, but that and drug abuse. When you're yeah. walking pharmacy, then it's really dangerous. That's like the difference between, you know, a kid who has ADHD being prescribed a healthy dose of Ritalin yeah. versus, you know, smoking meth. It's essentially the same drug but just in a you know and much, the thing is that to make situation. it to that professional level in different organizations you need to be on that drug abuse side gotcha uh, anyways and to me like it's just not worth it especially if we're talking about business i had to to take a good objective look at what i'm doing and say like hey fred is your path forward as a coach and someone who's running a business to be more buff yeah because I've seen plenty of people that were super jacked, all right? Yeah. But no one knows them. 
they don't make any money, they don't have a business. So obviously that ain't the answer. Yeah. So I look at myself in the mirror and, and ask me, well, do I need more size to be successful in fitness? And I was like, no, hey, have you ever seen that little uh, curly hair guy from the 80s? Uh, Richard Simmons? Richard Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> Is that guy fit? Not really, no. No, right. He's but he's chubby. known to be one of the biggest fitness gurus of his generation. That's a good point. So if this little motherfucker here can <laughs> look like that and become a multimillionaire with fitness stuff, I don't need to take drugs yeah. to that's be successful a, in the fitness industry. It's a really great example because there's, so there's so many businesses where people think you have to look this specific part for it. Like, I mean, in my business too, sales, I think a lot of people think you need to be that like super smiley, like energetic guy. And I'm not fucking that at all. So it's a little bit like real estate. I never got the whole thing like, because it seems to me that a lot of people, especially dealing, dealing in residential real estate, there's a lot of narcissism going on there. Like they always want to look good. They always have their face on the thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, why? I'm buying a house from you. I just care about the price. I don't care. Yeah, what I don't you look care like. how hot you are. It I, just never know. made any sense <laughs> yeah. to me. So I know, you know what you mean. Yeah. It's like that pipeline from bottle girl to real estate agent has been pretty straightforward. But I don't get that whole ego thing because you sell yeah. your houses. Well, that's probably all it is, is, is ego is, you know, people. So people want to do a bodybuilding business. They probably, you know, the best thing to feed their ego is they're like, I want to be the most jacked person, but that doesn't necessarily make you most successful business. Look, I'm not going to lie about so, it. Obviously, there's some ego in the field. I yeah. like to look good. I, there's a certain image to, to portray, and I like to inspire my clients to. There's some of that. But there's the distinction is that from day one, actually, in my case, I'm not speaking for other people that have personal brands, but I never wanted to have a personal brand. That was never my intent. Yeah. I used my image to prop up my business and to kind of jump started because some people knew me and it's kind of a, uh, a good way to promote the business. But I always saw myself more as the, uh, uh, the PR guy from my company. Yeah. So like it, it's an easier sales pitch, but I've never wanted to have a personal brand. That's not the goal. I always wanted to have a business and be uh, an employee of my business. Right. That's why my company, The Razor, is a sellable asset. It's a tangible asset yeah. that I can build up and it has a home valuation. If I remove myself from the business, it still lives. Yeah. I could just have another coach work in the business. Because it's too. not Fred Chevry Fitness with your face on exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, right now, you. there's a lot of that, which is more of a strategy, but you'll see over the years that I'm withdrawing myself more and more of that image. Nice. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, that's definitely something I want to talk about a little bit more too, but Tell me a little bit more about like uh, your relationship with your your fitness mentor, because I know for me, uh, working with you has been like a game changer because it just like anything else, if you really want to be successful in anything, it really helps to have a mentor doing that. So what was it like with you and your mentor? Like you and I. Yeah. Um, look, uh, Johnny became family to me and yeah. he's, uh, you know, he's literally family to me. Like I talk over the phone. Uh, we. You know, we travel together uh, yeah. and all of that. And um, it started more like that relationship, uh, client, uh, like mentor and trainee. But uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen with everyone. But I think the mentorship relationship is the best way to learn. Yeah. There's nothing even close to it. Like you can read someone's book, but there's not that back and forth. There's not that, 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 person, that person that cares about you. Yeah. And it, it is so crucial because... 
when you get to something so personal like your personal health, uh, you need someone who actually cares. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, Johnny and I are really close. Uh, we talk a lot about all things. Uh, it's, uh, it's really having someone like that in your life, it is life changing. And yeah. I wish everyone, that's something that kind of saddens me a little bit. And I, I think you and I talk about it. It's like, there's a lot of people like you use my help or they could have used Johnny's help, but they never met. Yeah. Uh, it just never happened. For example, I've never had a business mentor. Yeah. I wish I had. Now I'm becoming successful. It started to gain traction and, and I'm very happy with what I'm doing. But shit, I never met anyone to help me. Yeah. And I wish I had never happened. Yeah. That just, you know, that is how it is. I'm sure there's some people out there, but I wasn't lucky enough to cross paths with someone that, that can't tell me, hey, you should have done that. It was saved me uh, a lifetime of research. Yeah. Literally. Well, I think something you said too that really stuck out to me is you, when you're talking about how you started working with Johnny, you, you said, I'm the type of person who really wants to not just be told what to do, but to like understand why. I think that that part's really, really important because you probably have a lot of clients you train too, that it's maybe not as much of a mentor-mentee relationship. It's more, you probably feel more like you're just kind of telling them what to do because they don't care as much to understand it. Is that right? Or 100%. And you can't teach someone that. I think yeah. that we all have, in terms of personality, some predispositions and some people don't care. Yeah. Look, I have some people that I've coached for seven, eight years. They still don't know shit about fuck when it comes to fitness. Yeah. I love them to death and I'm there and I have no problems with that. But they don't have that curiosity. I never understood that because I'm the same way. And I can remember from the very beginning, I remember like, so should I drink my protein before my cardio or after my cardio? Why do we do this exercise this way? Why do I do? Why do I take this? Why should I take that? Why do I eat this? Why do I do that? Like I can... I wanted to understand every single little piece of it. That's so. your nature. But also one thing that I do understand is most of my clients are people like you. So they're people who are very successful in their respective careers. Yeah. And they don't have time or the desire or both. It's not mutually exclusive. It can be and or. But they don't have that drive to become a weight loss specialist. Yeah. They leave that to me. So they're very successful at selling whatever they're selling, doing whatever they do, which I have huge respect for. Yeah. But they decide to trust me with the fitness side. So for these people, it's like, I understand it can't be bothered understanding the, fit, the laws of fitness. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, for you, we talked about how you got your very first client. He was basically just a buddy from the police academy. And you were both kind of just figuring out, like, what are we doing here? So... How did how did that turn into like when was it that you realized wow this could actually be my my primary source of income i always knew yeah i always knew but uh it was just about making it work yeah so which has been uh, a swim in shark infested waters for like eight years yeah so that's how bad it is wow um because it's like there's no roadmap of how to do something that's that's fringe like that yeah and there's a lot of questions that you need to answer before you become profitable like the money is way later down the line like that's the tip of the iceberg but there's so much things that you need to figure out before you can make a dime with that. I mean you can't make a couple hundred dollars or whatever you know yeah but like to have sustainable income and growth 
it's like, all right, who am I serving? You know, I mean, you do need a target audience and you might think you want to serve a certain kind of people, but that, not, that might not be the, the right kind of people. So you need to figure that out. That might take you a couple of years to find your ideal type of client. Then you have the question is, well, what kind of service am I providing here? Like, is it going to be an app? Is it going to be uh, like a, a physical location that people go to? Is, you know, yeah. like, what I, like what am I doing for them? Well, because this is at this point too, is there even such a thing as an app at that point? We're nah, talking, not, we're talking nah, 12 nah, years ago. This is, like, yeah. this is like pre-smartphones, right? Or the very beginning uh, of yeah, smartphones. No, no, smartphones were around. Uh, they, were, they just sucked. Uh, yeah. yeah, and they were the very iPhones. expensive and rare. Oh yeah, you couldn't. Uh, there's no way someone like me could have gotten an app or anything. Gotcha. Like that. Okay. But it's okay because you had websites back then. Uh, it was running off a website. So gotcha. Yeah. So this is 11, 12 years ago. So we're talking like 2010. And 2012. 2012. 10 and years ago. This is my 10th year. Okay. And you said so. At a certain point, you had your one client, and at a certain point you decided that you were going to stop working as a PI correct and you had one client correct and even if he was paying you what I'm paying you now which I'm sure oh, no, he which wasn't. I'm sure he wasn't <laughs> then you you were barely scraping no, by no, on ramen yeah, yeah, noodles yeah. so like how did you how did you pick up from there like how did you get more clients how did you start oh God, surviving man. at that point dude i <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly sex, sex work, no. Most sex. Uh, I did feel like a whore, but not for that reason. Yeah. Like, look, man, it's not like, you know, <laughs> my journey has been like, it's not like, it's been a little bit of a struggle, but then it picked up and like fast forward a little montage of like, oh, on, the, on a on the board, and then money. Yeah. Hasn't been like that. It's like, how low can you fall? And then you keep falling for a while. That's what we want to hear, man. This is about the realness. So, so uh, I quit the job, total leap of faith. I had that kind of vision, but it was bold. You know, I tend to do these bold moves. Um, I had that client. I managed to get two, three more clients, a couple hundred dollars, you know, whatever. Then, you know, starting money starts to dry up. And I'm like, I had kind of three months of, you know, including credit cards of money I can live with. Yeah. Uh, my wife was in college at that time. And uh, I had that idea, which is the same idea I still have today, but couldn't make it work really. Like, it's just like, just, I mean, objectively the service was terrible. Uh, uh, I wasn't charging enough. Like everything was wrong, yeah. everything, but the idea. And um, so what I do, I did is that I started taking personal training clients because then some people would ask me at the, at the gym, uh, it's a path of least resistance. It, it's when you're dealing with something novel, you have to sell the concept, but personal training people already know. Yeah. So what I did is that I told my wife, I said, hey, look, I'm you know, struggling here with the, with the online coaching, um, but I have some people that ask me for gym training. So I think I'm going to do that a little bit. Um, I just, I can't, I can't get over the fact of how like how much vision and foresight you had because you literally had the idea of training people online before there were online trainers, right? I mean, they're... Look, I know everyone's going to say that out there, <laughs> but I had it. I know. <laughs> I had it. Like you've never like yeah, said yeah. that to me ever before, yeah, but yeah. just piecing together what you're yeah. saying, 
you had a vision of doing that stuff and having yeah. a, on a, some sort of online training program yeah. before apps were even a thing. Oh yeah, before, that came out way before later. Before video yeah. chat was even a thing and any of that stuff, but somehow you knew that and it was, you, you basically just backtracked to personal training in person out of, you know, out of necessity to pay the yeah, bills that was, that was a setback, but it taught me something. Yeah. Uh, that one lesson it taught me is that as as bold as I am and willing to take risks, having an income while you're working on a business helps a lot. Yeah. It does help a lot because look, um, if you're worried about feeding yourself and paying rent. And you're not thinking about the next right move. And yeah. what I'm doing is that when that happens, I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about you. Yeah. And my entire business is built around thinking about you. Right. So you always want to do what's best for your customers. But when you're in survival mode, you don't have that whole philanthropy side. You know? Right. Uh, so that's what I learned. So started making income like that helped me. So I did the personal training thing for a while, but it wasn't it was never the goal. Then later I understood the value of it and I enjoyed it. I like to work with you at the gym. It became something I enjoy do it. But notice that I only train a handful of people at the gym. Yeah. It's not something I want to do that much. That was that was a good sidestep though because you didn't have to completely step out of your realm to do that. I mean, I know there's some people that because of that same problem, because they got to stay out of survival mindset because they got to pay the bills. They Sometimes they have to do something completely different, like work 40 hours a week at a dead end job or yeah. something just because they have to keep the lights on, you know? So Yeah, the, the thing I would say is that keep your eyes on the prize. That was my mistake because I actually, what should have been, as you said, a sidestep, but to keep going the same direction, turned out to be a pivot because yeah. what happened is that for about two years, then I started focusing more on the personal training side. So what I did is that with the same spirit, but the wrong direction, I started working with trainers at the gym. So I had some trainers working for me. I built a team and I started building a local business, which was not what I was supposed to do in life. Yeah. But that's what I did because uh, money was good. It was kind of easier. Uh, it's something that clients could understand. So I didn't have to push something novel. Yeah. And uh, it was easier to gain traction. What I should have done is, but hindsight, right? I, yeah. I, I, I didn't know. What I should have done is do personal training and use that for my living expenses and keep working on keep the working online. On, yeah. That's what I end up going back to later. But, gotcha. you know, I had to take that segue. So you, you ended up taking quite a quite a detour for mm -hmm. a little bit there. But if you could go back and do it differently, you basically would have been bare minimum just to pay the bills and then put all the rest of your energy and effort into building your online coaching. Right. Yeah. Oh, hey, man, if we had, if we, if we could, I'm sure everybody's got, if they could go back and do it different, but. I mean, it's obvious, but then I had to do it. You know? There's nothing, nothing like a lesson learned the hard way, for sure. So. Yeah, so. Well, cool. Well, for you, um, at that point, so now you got to the point where you, you built a local business and that was in Montreal. Correct. Um, so when did you start to get to the point where you really transitioned everything or most, mostly everything online? What happened is that um, at that point, like two years and two years into that, two three years into that local business, 
which was fun. I had a blast, you know, it was still pretty good. The problem is that I saw the glass ceiling of living in Canada. Not only I didn't like the culture there, I never liked Canada. Yeah. Uh, I, the Quebec thing it never worked for me. Uh, I don't like what they like. I don't like hockey. I don't like beer. I don't like the music. You know, it's just, I just want to get the fuck out of See, that's why there. I say you're the most American Canadian <laughs> I've ever met. Yeah. But. And um, so what I did is that when I was competing, uh, I was actually here in Vegas. Yeah. My first pro show that I did, um, I met this French dude who managed to immigrate to the United States. And through talking, I realized that him and I had very similar stories. So I ended up hiring his immigration attorney to get the green card to move to the US. So um, anyways, I started the process to move in the States, which was really, it's an entire other topic, but it was, that was something. Extensive. Yeah, yeah, really, really, it's sure. not easy. And so the decision to move to the US, was that because you thought business would be better or is that, that's mostly just because you wanted to see opportunities here for lifestyle here or? Both of them. Both of them? Yeah, I think it was both things, the business side and the cultural side, mostly. Yeah, it's crazy. My, my wife was telling me recently how, just putting it in perspective, how, like, how much we take for granted those of us who are born with a U.S. passport. That can be so incredibly difficult to get for many other people. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, uh, but again, it's not a guarantee of anything. It's like, you don't know how it's gonna go. Yeah. There's plenty of people that, look, immigration in itself, I see it as an act of entrepreneurship because it's the same thing. It's taking a bold risk, hoping that's gonna pay out. Yeah. But it doesn't always, like, it's very humbling when you move to a new country. Like, you're going in a different country that doesn't speak the same language, your diplomas, they ain't worth shit. So like, whatever time you spend in school, Ain't worth nothing, Doesn't no matter. one cares. Yep. Uh, you don't have any friends, you don't have any family, you don't have a job. Um, there's some of the cultural differences and all of that. Everything, you become a nobody. Yeah. With a bunch of other nobodies. And so that's hard, yeah. that's hard. I didn't think it was going to be hard like that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really humbling because back in Canada, when I would see immigrants, I, I would be like, you know, usually they do these little jobs like driving cabs or whatnot. And you kind of think, the way I was thinking before as someone, I guess, was a little bit entitled or didn't have that perspective was like, look, I look at these people and I guess they come from a very crappy country and now they move to a good country and they kind of satisfy what they're doing. But now that I moved to the States and I'm completely at the bottom of the hierarchy and have nothing going on for me yeah and i need to work shit jobs and do all of that i realized that look immigrants don't want to do that yeah they just Change, have changes to. your perspective and some people just have to do that for a short period of time before you know they save some money and you know do whatever they want to do and some people just get stuck there yeah. like some people that move here end up driving an uber maybe they have plans on opening a business opening a restaurant or whatnot but they just get stuck driving an uber because it just didn't, doesn't work out yeah so uh, yeah, not everyone makes makes it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a ruthless. There's a lot of competition, but that's what I like about this country because they ain't for losers. Like yeah. no one's gonna help you, man. Like yeah. it, it's you, and just keep fighting. And for some people, it's like, look, to me, it's not complicated. 
I'm not gonna get a job or anything like that. Either I made it in business or I was going to be, uh, well, I don't know, broke living under a bridge. <laughs> like there's no like, if that doesn't work out, maybe I can go back to doing whatever people do. Yeah. No, no, it was like, look, I gotta make it work. You were committed. It's beyond well, cause, that. Cause it's not you, committed, I don't have a choice. Because you, know? you, you burned that bridge a while ago. You had already, went. you know, the way from hearing your story, the moment that you decided to stop working as a PI, that's the moment where there's really no turning back. Because that's the moment you said, you know what, fuck my guaranteed paycheck. I'm, I'm betting on myself from this point on. That's, well, that's what it sounds like. Sort of, but you can't, I mean, I'm sure you know that. I could have always gone back to something. Oh, for sure. I could work here in a bank or whatever, and whatever the fuck normal people do. I could have done that. There's always, but, so it's always in the mindset of people, if they always have that temptation of going towards something that has a safety net, I guess these people, to me, they can't be helped. But not somebody like you or me. Not somebody who has that much pride when you made that decision that you're betting on yourself I ain't going back man i don't know about you but i would say the same thing that you just said where it's like i'm either going to be successful or i'm living under a bridge yeah dying and, dying to be successful and there's so. nothing i wouldn't sacrifice for that definitely nothing definitely so uh, that can be very dangerous but there's no room for a plan b if you're if you're dead set on something like your wife or like that business that's your dream there's no room for a plan b you know that's it's got to be plan a or nothing and if plan a doesn't work you find another way to plan a or another way to plan a that's that's it that's it and that's a problem i had uh, before uh, early on in my career is that instead of having that focus and keeping my eyes on that prize i would be tempted to well you know if that doesn't work i can go to something else yeah well like so at that point you you know you got to a point where you were um where you knew that was what you wanted to do so when did when did you really start picking up traction with online coaching yeah so um when i did my um so after that little phase uh when i moved to the states i recalibrated the business and i had the kind of a slightly different business model i wanted to try and um I tried something else too, which was also a little bit of a mistake. So different formula to try to figure out like how to deliver service, who am I serving? So I went in a direction, but what happened is that I run that model for about two years and it worked, which was also online coaching, but different structure. So it was a little bit different. I don't really need to go there. It'll be just confusing, but I went in a direction and I didn't like it so much. I ran into some problems that uh, I've had in the past and I knew there were red flags that I'm not going in the right direction. So I did a pivot and re-changed the company again for a third time. Yeah. So changed the name and uh, um, realigned with things that made a little bit more sense. And that's where it just started gaining good traction. And right away, the, the market started kind of reacting positively. Good. And uh, that was good because I knew I was on a good track at that point. Yeah. So. And how long ago was that? That that. that so that was... last one was two years ago. Two years ago. That okay. last pivot, although like under the previous company name and different formula, it was still good, um, but not as good as I wanted it to be. It wasn't exactly my vision, yeah. and it was stirring the business in the direction that that's not what I wanted to do. 
it was in line with my vision completely. It would have worked, um, but not exactly what I had in mind. Yeah. Okay. And so for something that's like your dream, your baby, I would imagine you probably feel the same as me where it's like, it's never finished. Like, even though you're psyched about your business right now, I'm sure, I'm sure you would never use the word perfect. I'm sure you've got a, you've got a whole, you know, psycho, psycho murderer drawing board in your basement of stuff that you want to work on and where you see your vision and all that. But, and we'll get into that, but like, what do you, what do you really enjoy about the way your business is running right now at this point? Oh man. There's a lot of enjoy about yeah. it now. Well, let's hear it. And there's a lot of enjoy. Um, I like that people are happy about the way they're getting, and I like that they're telling other people about it. Yeah. And to me, that's the biggest encouragement because for the longest time, I had something good, but it wasn't good enough that people would uh, be big fans of the business. Yeah. Now I have that, and that's really exciting because it's a validation. And that's even I don't even care about the money. Like I don't even look at. I mean, I look at it, obviously, but it's not what I measure in terms of metric. Yeah. Uh, of half. If the company is moving in the right direction, yeah, I measure different things, and these things have been going in the right direction. I'll give you an example. In uh, since I made certain changes early in the year, while I made my move from Miami to Vegas, I had a couple months that I took off, obviously. So I effectively only worked half the year this year. Yeah, um, and I made some changes that I thought made sense. And since then, the engagement on my app, so the, the relationship I have with the with the members, they went up by a thousand eighteen percent. Thousand and eighteen percent. Yeah. So to me, that's an indicator that things are doing pretty well. So when you say engagement on the app, you mean people communicating It's a multivariable analysis of different ways people interact with the app. So overall, how much people interact with my app. Gotcha. So everything from when they comment on a workout overall. from okay gotcha yeah, overall okay. so that's one metric number of referrals per customers yeah um the um lifetime value of a customer yeah if your lifetime value of a customer gets doubled yeah it is most money but it's more money but we already mentioned that it's not really what i measure i'm yeah. just measuring that instead of someone staying in the business for x amount of time that time per doubled, so they're probably happier about the service, I guess. Definitely. So definitely. Little things like that. And all these indicators went up. So that's really exciting. Okay. And how are you how are you getting most of your new clients right now? Where are they coming from? Exclusively through referrals. Exclusively referrals. And that's point. one thing I did. Um, that's one thing I did is that early this year uh, I was playing with well, last year, so a year ago. I was always exploring options on how to get customers and I always, I sat down and looked at my computer and, and thought and I was like, look, the best customers I get are always from referrals. Yeah. With the exception being the gym clients, but that's different because I have that personal connection. But when someone sends me their friend or family, it always works well and it's always like my conversion rate is almost 100%. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts and it's no effort and it's just great. So instead of fighting that and trying to find other ways to get customers through the door, let's just double down on that. So yeah. what I did is try to, and I played with different ideas, like how can I encourage referrals? Yeah. And um, I built a very simple system that 
turned out to work and it was very low effort and very simple and I tried a couple of things that didn't work out, you know, but I know now that's not always going to work out the first time around. Yeah. And okay, that idea doesn't work. That one doesn't work. But that seems to work and it doesn't take much time and uh, that's stuck. So I, uh, I went in that direction and it works fine. And at this point, it's like, to me, it's like, geez, like I'm in the business. Of course, I'm scaling the business. Yeah. But not to the point where... I need mass marketing and things like that. That's not the kind of business I'm in because as you know, the, the, the rates of the business, they're not exactly cheap. So even yeah. with uh, uh, just a, a few dozens of customers, that business is perfectly viable. Also right. being a web-based service, it's really low cost. Yeah. So my business model is not so much scale, it's more magnitude. Yeah. And referrals seems to be sufficient. Yeah. Um, I'm different. So next year, for example, we're starting the supplement line. Yeah. And that's something that I'm more aiming towards the, uh, the general public. So that will require a different type of marketing. That's why I'm working with my web guy and my, uh, my blogger right now. Yeah. So um, that, but that's a separate part of business. So I expect right. those supplement sales to come mostly from uh, faceless entities on the web yeah. that don't really know the business and don't come through a referral. That's fine, but that's kind of a, that's not my core product. That's a that's a product multiplier. That's something else on the side or a lead magnet. So a lot going really well about your business right now. I mean, especially if you, you know, over the course of sounds like six or seven years, you went from one client who was just a good buddy of no, yours. No, ten years. For, oh, okay, for the full ten years. So ten years, you went from one client to the point where now you've got. What, 60, 60 ish clients? No, no, no. Like right, now, right now, right I'm running a 30. Right now, you're running and a so 30. Okay. You get, so, you know how, well, you, actually, you don't know how. Do you know how much I charge online? Yeah, you do. I know how much you charge online. Okay. Yes. So, like 350, I believe. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Man, that's, that's not as much as I'm paying. But, <laughs> but I'm getting a lot better experience because I work with you in the gym, actually. So. Well, and also, like, since I met you, I was running a little getting, promotion. I'm getting then. the premium package. I'm getting the premium. Yeah, package. you know what? Well, I mean, I take good care of the online clients. Yeah. It's a really different experience, but it's really nice. And also, you know, what's great in terms of on the business side is that I don't touch the business money at all. Yeah. So personally, and that's back to what I was saying about having uh, an income. Personally, when I started doing that, so for my living expenses, I use only the personal training. Yeah. And the business money stays in the business. So that's growth. So yeah. I run growth on the business and investments and savings and I invest in different things that can make the business mature. Yeah. But I don't have to get high on my own supply, which is cash. And I think it's really important. So whatever the customers are paying me online, it's not that it's going in my pocket. I don't touch that money. It's going in the business. Yeah. So that's all automated. But even my investments are automated and all of that. Yeah, and uh, that's something that I think is really important when you can have that income and you don't have to touch it. That's something too. I'd be curious to hear. I know for my first five six years in the business, I I made good money yeah. and everything, but I put ninety upwards of ninety percent of my earnings invested back into the business to hire more sales representatives yeah. or get off this space or put it into marketing, uh, 
you know, so 90% of it, I was putting back into the business to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Even today at seven figures of gross revenue per year, I'm putting more than 80% back well, into the Also, let's admit it, so, I mean, you somewhat, uh, you're definitely not cheap. You're a person that invests in the right things, but you sure. also, uh, I think like myself, very much of a minimalist. Yeah. We don't, I mean, look, my hobbies are not expensive. Yeah. You know what I like? I whiskey, cigars, and guns, and honestly, and motorcycles, so that can get a little bit pricey, but <laughs> I, like, it's not, I, I, don't know, I don't get much enjoyment of spending a bunch of money, so like, I think you get, one thing that's important, and everyone's different, like, yeah. I respect people that like to spend more, some people that like to spend less, like, kind of establish how much you need to be happy, put a cap on that, and the rest put it in your hustle. Yeah. So, and that, that's what I do, it's like, past a certain amount, for me, life doesn't get any better. Yeah. So, and that's well covered by the personal training. Yeah. So, but to each his own. So, like to me, I have that cap. I use that for myself, and the rest can go into business. But you need to do that. You need to be able to allocate part of re- re- your own revenue. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that do what you do. That it's the composite, uh, c- completely opposite ratio. They spend nine percent of the income and mm-hmm. put ten percent back in business. Yep. Ain't gonna work like that. Well, the more yep. you can put, uh, that that's gonna help a lot. I don't know exactly where the trade-off is, but you you have to be putting a good amount in at least you if do. you want your business to keep growing year over year. And that's the so. that's the dilemma if you have to either feed yourself and put money in in the gas tank, which is not a problem for for you. You drive a Tesla too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm well, sorry, I drive a V8. Yep. So you know a V8 and a V twin, but they still got I still got to pay the energy bill. Yeah. You know? So. So when you have that dilemma, like, all right, do I feed myself or do I invest in the business? The answer should be obvious. Take your, just like when you're in an airplane, you're gonna need, you're gonna put your mask on first. For sure. And but then that surplus instead of, you know, I'm not saying like don't go out clubbing, whatever. If it's part of your life, it's for you. It's a good balance, and you kind of need that to get going. Like you don't need to live like a monk. For some people, are not about that life. Yeah. I'm not necessarily about that life too. You know. I do take my wife out on the weekends. We do go on trips, but it's not like every money that's in uh, has to be spent. Like you do need to invest in your business. And that's the problem yeah. I had in the first years of business because there was no surplus. So it's not that yeah. you didn't get it. You you totally understood you should be investing in your business. I just didn't have you enough didn't money. Have it. Yeah, okay. so. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. And I, I was there for definitely periods of time too, where I had all these ideas about what I would spend the money on, and then I'd be like, all right, I gotta go make <laughs> that, it That's first. never a problem, yeah, that's never a problem, yeah, what I would spend I it on. But yeah. again, someone like you that, even though you're, you're doing very well, you're fairly frugal, uh, I suppose that if it wasn't from Nina, you wouldn't spend as much. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you would probably just live in an empty room. Even with... the clothes that I buy <laughs> and stuff like that, I literally only buy nice things to keep up with her. Yeah. Just yeah, because yeah. it looks kind of weird if yeah. we go out to dinner. Uh-huh. And she has a Gucci purse, and I'm wearing Walmart sweatpants. So. Exactly. <laughs> so I just got to keep up with her. So like, like all those Christmas decorations I have at home, I didn't come up with that. Idea. Yeah. So I but but you. so I get it. There's certain things that you need to spend well, on. That's, but, yeah. that's what we do for love. But you got to put a cap on your stuff and realize, like, look, my business ain't going nowhere until I decide to uh, put money where my mouth is. Yeah. And that's really powerful because those dollars, even a couple hundred dollars when you're getting started will make a difference. I think when I see people that don't have that mindset, I think it's just for some reason, it's a lack of belief that they have in themselves. Because like for you, 
to keep investing in yourself because that's really what it is. You're investing in your business, but that's you're believing that you're going to make it. You're believing that you're going to make it work no matter what. So what do you think what do you think helped you develop that that trust in yourself or that confidence in yourself for you to keep betting on yourself even only when you had one client and when you're struggling to pay the bills like yeah. what helped you develop that self-confidence confidence comes with competence yeah so initially i was not confident i was doing the right thing it was more like a gamble yeah but then when you start doing things right then you gain earned competence and there's this thing that i really like is that confidence without competence when it's going well for you by pure luck or whatever it leads to narcissism yeah and people are full of themselves and they have no competence but mm -hmm. the problem is that the minute things don't go well that leads to depression yeah so the whole thing about being positive and all of that look if there's no reason to be confident if you suck yeah so when things start getting traction and you've heard that that confidence then it becomes a little bit easier. But at first, I'm not going to be here and tell you that I, had, I was the most confident guy in my business when it wasn't working out. But then when you start getting traction and you have that positive validation from the marketplace, now you can, you, you can be a little bit more firm uh, and stand a little bit straighter. And when people yeah. talk to you, you can say, my, my shit is working. So what I'm hearing from you too, and I completely agree, is like, for those people out there who maybe lack confidence in themselves, don't go stand in the mirror and say <laughs> affirmations at yourself. Yeah. Go fucking figure it out and yeah. get good at it. Go, yeah. go give yourself permission to suck at it because probably what gave you a lot of the confidence too in this industry was you spent a lot of time learning it. You spent a lot of time getting good at fitness with yourself. So you got to see that you know that success happened in your own physique and it, you knew you'd be able to do it it's positive and negative at the same time because the fact that I was successful as a bodybuilder for bodybuilder first gave me a false sense of confidence in terms of business yeah but it did give me some confidence because i knew i could achieve some meaningful stuff so it's kind of i had to be careful yeah like yeah okay that experience of being a pro bodybuilder told me i can achieve great things but also Dying the same thing as building a business. For sure. So that was also a bit humbling because, yeah, you're a professional athlete, but also your business kind of sucks. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a, a disconnect here. Yeah. So I had to to do the same thing with my business that I did with myself. So yeah. I went from kind of an average nobody with a with pretty shitty physique to a, a top natural bodybuilder. And my business did the same, went from pretty shitty little business to something I can be proud of. Yeah. But that was a separate parallel process. I think though, like even even though like what you're saying, even though it was it was almost like a placebo though for you, because you yeah. build up that confidence with the success you had as a bodybuilder. Yeah. And even though it's got nothing to do with running a business, it still gave you that confidence of like, all right, I put in the work, I put in the work, I put in the work, and I, I get the reward at the end. That's pretty so, much the lesson, but then yeah. you have to, to take it into context because business and fitness, although they share a lot of, of uh, same, uh, similar attributes, totally they're not the same. World. They're not the same. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so there's a lot going well. Um, what are some things like that, you know, you would change about your business right now? Or what are some things you're working on for next year? What are some things you want to get better at? If someone asks me, what do you do for a living? Well, I run a fitness app. 
Okay, it's easy, but there's more to that. And the app is just one tool. Yeah. Um, the business I'm building is much bigger than that. So it, it's more profound. It's a big asset with a brand name and all of that. The app is just the core product. Yeah. But there's other things going on. And although it's important to focus on your core product for a little while, there's all these little things around it that you have to build as well. Sure. So that's why right now we're building up the blog and the mm -hmm. website that I completely rebuilt this year. And that's why we're starting a supplement line. I have other things that I'm preparing because these things are really important. Not necessarily what you need to focus on at first because your core product is what matters the most. Um, but something isn't working out. Well, again, I just said two. So uh, the supplement line and traffic on the website through the blog. So it becomes its own entity with traffic and value. Some people go there just for information, get some news out there and uh, things like that. So that's two big things. Uh, bumping up the number of customers. So one thing that it might seem small, but in my business, it's still kind of a good bump up, increasing the number of customers because my, my business capped. So for this year, I didn't want to go more to X number of clients. Yeah. That I made it a point because I don't want to increase the capacity, but having to reduce the quality of the service. Yeah. So what I did a lot this year is that I improved the software, I improved the processes, I improved the ways I do things. So in 2023, I can bump up the number of customers, but knowing in full confidence that the service will not only be the same, but even superior. So that's really one thing I'm doing right now. That's already done actually. So I put all these little things in places that will allow me to serve more people while having the same quality or service. And that's one of of the big things. So you're working on a couple things for next year and you know you're still you're still very very focused on growing your business. So <laughs> this will be this will be an interesting one. Um you know with somebody who's already achieved so much success, what <laughs> well, please. <laughs> you, no, you're doing good, man. You're doing good. Yeah. But like why why keep growing the business? And I know that sounds stupid wow. to a lot of people, but you know, there's so many different reasons why. Part of it could be the plain and simple. It could be dollars and cents. You want to make more money. It could even be just a an ego thing, like you're just addicted to that success and growth. I know I have a little bit of both of those at times for sure. But what is it that's that's why grow the business? Look, Joe, why, why are you trying to look better? I, I don't know why I do what I do. I just do because it seems about right. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you, is it about the money? I don't think so. Because as I told you, like, to me, just my personal training income is plenty. Yeah. To, to I mean, I'm not frugal, but it's enough to be happy for me. Like, yeah. Uh, that's sufficient. So it ain't about the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is to help other people, although it's like I'm really happy helping the number of people I'm helping right now. I'm doing my part and I know that what I do is a net positive on this planet. I'm not I'm not a goddamn leech that's just taking, not giving. Yeah. So that's already done. Um, but there's that thing that I think that some people, it seems that it's just how it is. We need to keep going. Yeah. And it's not about the outcome and it's just doing what I do now seems to be the right thing. And I just feel like I should be going. And look, if you don't feel it, if someone just satisfied what they have, they can stop there. That's yeah. fine. You know, I don't expect anyone in terms of fitness is the same thing. Like, look, some people lose 30 pounds and that's the end of the road for them. They're happy there. They're just going to coast on that for the rest of their life. But some people just want more. Yeah. 
And do I question why? No. Do they have a chip on their shoulder or something? I, I don't know. So why am I doing what I do and I keep going? I, I, I'm going to keep doing it? I don't know. But it's probably just a combination of, of all that because, yeah. you know, if you were to ask me the same question, same thing, it just feels right. Yeah, like, it feels, it, yeah. Do I need more money? No. Do I, I mean... Do I want to help more people? Same thing. Same thing. Sure, yeah, good, but you sure, know, but I'm fine. helping a lot of people yeah. now. Like you know, and there's and nothing wrong about someone staying at the the level they're at, and it's okay to acknowledge that. Like if you reach your cap, that's cool. Yeah. If you haven't reached it, you know, don't stop. Yeah, I don't know what it'll feel like when we get to that point where we're just. I don't know, maybe when you get to a certain point where you're happy with your physique or where you're happy with your business. I don't know. You just <clears throat> Maybe you just curl up in a ball and die, but I don't know what that, Look, I don't know uh, what that feels remember like. Remember that, uh, you know, that guy that built the downtown here, uh, Tony Shea? Yeah. You read his book? Uh, no, I think you told uh, me about yeah, him. Yeah, so he said something that, that I really liked. He said he was building a very successful tech business and um, he was offered a lot of money for it. And it was like, well, if I sell the business, what I'm going to do, I'm probably going to do the same thing because I enjoy it. But the day I'm selling it, I'm cashing out and I, I'm checking out of that business it's probably the day I don't want to do that no more and to me it's about the same I think like the day that won't be fulfilling to me anymore and I don't have that I mean not not motivation because that comes and goes right now some weeks I might not be interested in what I'm doing that's not a big deal but if like for too many days in a row and wake up and I don't like what I do it's like I go to the office and like I don't even know the names of my employees and it's like I don't even know what's going on with my business and it become like it becomes too big and too impersonal. I might check out of that. But before that, you know, I'm I don't see I don't see a reason to stop. But yeah. that day might be the good time to stop and do something else. Yeah. When you get to the point where you're not feeling it anymore, for yeah. sure. For and a not, sustained period of like, time. Yeah, right? not a not a day. We all have a yeah, day yeah. where we just don't feel like yeah. adulting that day for yeah. sure. So that's a good question. Um do you you have those days where you're just not feeling it? You don't feel like training? You don't feel like working on the business? You don't feel like doing the job? Well, I, I kind of lost myself here, but what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm getting there because that was really important. So um, question was on those on those tough days. Yeah, okay. So, that, so that, that's my original point is that I built right now an environment where I have very little of those tough days because the tasks I don't enjoy doing in my business they're outsourced yeah the uh, uh all the little things that i don't like they've been taken care of by my environment and you know i'm really big on automation softwares and all these little things and systems and when there's something that that drains my motivation usually it gets pushed out and again outsourced automated or just uh, uh, destroyed <laughs> yeah so I do that a lot in my personal life same thing like I don't even though it's separate it's not part of my business but at the gym I don't train with clients I don't like yeah because these are a big drain on my energy but same thing with the web like look I like to read the blogs on my website I like what my writer produces um, and what the editor does to the articles but I don't like to write them so much so yeah. that's one thing that would kind of drain my motivation and make me have bad days. But since I outsource that, well, that's not a problem I have to deal with. Yeah. All I have to do is to have my meetings with my staff and, and well, that makes me pretty happy because I like to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, my writer. So that that's cool. Yeah. 
So I think that was a little bit of a segue, but if you build a, uh, an environment that works for you, you won't have so many of those bad days. And because, I mean, if you're, in a, if you're in a business that you're having a bad day once or twice a week, you're, you're probably in the wrong business. That's probably not something you're really passionate about. But I think what you've done is you've found a way to delegate all the just the little parts of your business that yeah, just maybe, don't, it up maybe don't get you going. Absolutely. It's the same thing, for example, that um, if there's an issue with your fitness as a whole. Yeah. Like, I noticed that, oh, this week or this month wasn't so great. People that have a little bit less experience, they're going to look at it and say, oh, my fitness sucks. I might want to just leave that, stop it, check out, whatever. But what we can do is take it, break it down and say, hey, How's the training? Well, training has been good, actually. How's the cardio? Cardio has been good. How's the nutrition overall? Nutrition has been pretty good, but on Thursdays, I have those meetings. All right, so <laughs> nutrition is going well six days of the week, so there's one day. Is the entire day bad? No, it's just kind of uh, on the lunch. Yeah. Morning is good. Night is good. Then, essentially, you don't have a problem with fitness. You have a problem with your lunch on Thursday. Let's address that. Yeah. And if you do that, then you can just fix that and move forward. All right, well, let's get back into personal a little bit. Oh, boy. So what you got? What is your biggest insecurity? I guess I'm getting much better at that. But if you don't come from money, mm -hmm. I think you can relate. Yeah. There's always that chip on your shoulder that someone might come and take it all away from you. Yeah. And you never know what's going to happen. Maybe you're going to get back under that bridge. <laughs> it's like there's always that thing where you're like necessarily being overly cautious, but it's like, before the day I feel that I'm risk-free, that's going to take a while. Yeah. Uh, especially that, you know, it's in what we do, it requires certain bold moves sometimes and you never know what's going to happen. So there's always that thing. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily, yeah, maybe insecure would be the right term. Not insecure. Yeah, insecure that that's success I'm experiencing and, and happiness might not be permanent. Yeah. And that... I'm getting better at it, but I still have that little fucker on my shoulder. It's like, hey, friend, yeah. maybe you're going to wake up tomorrow. It's going to be all gone. Yeah. You're going to wake too. up in shit town Canada. That's incredibly, <laughs> that's incredibly humble of you to admit because I think so many of us, especially those of us who came from not a very wealthy beginning, yeah. that's, that's a big fear for sure. So that's, uh, yeah, that's something that that's going to take a while before yeah. I'm like, I fully integrate it. And, well, for you, I mean, you've you've had like you're doing great in your business right now. You've already kind of got a plan for a few of the things that you want to implement. So let's say if if for some reason, uh, hypothetical, you you couldn't do fitness anymore. Yeah. You couldn't do anything with your current app. You couldn't do anything with it. What's another business that you've always kind of been interested in? Try try me. <laughs> I am trying you. <laughs> what do you mean? Take a wild guess. A wild guess. Yeah. Guns and tactical nah, training. That no. is for fun. Okay. Now, now that's just my hobby. You know how it is. You know, I, I like these things. I value American values a lot. But uh, that, honestly, you want my answer? Yeah. I'd be a clinical psychologist with my own practice. Clinical psychologist. Yeah. Nice. So if someone were to chop my bolt, my legs, and uh, I wouldn't be able to do the fitness thing no more. Even though, like, even though if I was slightly out of shape, I could still run my business sure. because it doesn't rely on my image so much. Uh, right. Anymore. But I'm just talking totally hypothetical. Totally if, yeah. If for some reason fitness was off the table, yeah. So clinical psychologist, Correct. yeah. Wow. Nice. So you're every time 
you're asking me questions when I'm in the middle of a set. You're actually you're banking that and putting that in my file and to be used later on down the road, huh? <laughs> so look, man, there's something <laughs> like that's another thing that I never tell my clients, not because I don't want to, just because it's not relevant, but there's a lot of psychology in what we do. For sure. And there's a big difference. Um, so usually when people, and that's something that, that that's a shame, but there's a lot of fitness uh, professionals out there and professionals, quote unquote. Some people that they're interested in having some kind of physical transformation, they're going to do, go with a coach that's completely incompetent and is never going to provide any results. So yeah. that's one thing. Then some other will go to coach, which is good, but it's missing a little something. They're good on the technical side. So it's like, they're going to give you a plan and say, Joe, if you follow this plan, if only you followed it, it's going to work. Yeah, but what if that plan doesn't work out for you in terms of lifestyle? So that's the other step that they're missing. Maybe they like a little bit of maturity in their business or yeah. they ha they're just not there yet. What makes the difference between a good coaching service and a great coaching service is that you look at the person and it's like, hey, look, how can I make this work for you? Yeah. And that's where it gets much better because of course you can't you can only bend so much the laws of fitness but you can adapt them to someone yeah and that's what we do at the razor right like your program is unique no one else has your program uh it's tailored for you your diet plan is yours and everything around it, it it's it's crafted for you because that's the entire thing about adapting it to the person and a lot of it has to do with psychology um let's say you take um well, so right now you're, you're running at two cheat meals a week, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I might run into someone that ideally what science tells me is that it would be better for them not to have any cheat days right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm also mindful that if I don't give them any cheat days, I know they're probably going to quit in two months. Yeah. If I kind of tone it down a little bit and give them that bone, well, they might be able to last eight months and eight months at 80% of the speed is more results than two months at 100% of the speed. So trying to get in that person's head and understanding how they think with certain levels of empathy and understanding of where they come from and where they're going is crucial. Yeah. And that's one thing that distinguishes the services that we're offering to customers. Yeah. And uh, that's where psychology is something I deal with well, daily. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, obviously you want to push somebody as, as much as you can push them because they're going to get the best possible result. But, you know, you can push me harder than you can push some other people. Absolutely. And at the moment, you, everybody's breaking point is different. But the moment you push somebody too hard, then you probably end up getting a call from them that they quit because they can't do it anymore. Correct. And if you don't push them hard enough, then they're pissed off because they're not getting results. So you got to find that perfect spot that works and that's a, a moving target for Which everybody. We're smart men. That's so. exactly <laughs> what we're in the business in. Nice. That's, that's exactly how it is. Okay. Well. What are some things you've learned about me psychologically from our, uh, from our sessions together? You, well, I know that we're alike a lot. There's a lot we share. We're obviously not the same person. I also know that you work with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. and that in your industry you have to are you familiar with Carl Jung a little bit a little bit yeah my yeah. brother my brother's a big fan of Carl Jung there's always that person that we are and that person that that social persona that we put out there and I know that when you're with me you're being very authentic and I know that sometimes in your business you have to tone down who you are because I really love 
And I love you, Luke, like a brother, man. Yeah. I love the real person you are, and I know that you don't have to put a, a different persona with me. You can be straight up with me. Yeah. But I know in your business, you deal with a lot of people that are not as disagreeable as you and I. Yeah. And you have to tone it down a little bit and be a little bit more approachable, a little bit more understanding, a little bit less bold, and you have to soften your personality. Yeah. And I know you have to do that to be a better mentor for your people because not everyone will be able to understand that the Rogel version is the best for them, but it, it's a little bit less uh, uh, comfortable for certain kind of people. For sure. And people like you and I, we have to adapt a little bit because when we're in our authentic and raw self, it only pretty much works with in between us, but the other people yeah. would have a hard time dealing with this. I we tend to be mean. assholes a little bit. Yeah. And I know that you're nicer than you want to be sometimes. Yeah. Am I about you, right? You read me like a book there. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. If you ask, so if you surveyed like 10 people who are brand new sales reps on my team, yes. they're getting the they're getting the very softened up version softened. of Joe. But if you talk the to funny any, Joe. If you talk to anybody who's worked with me directly yeah. for a year <clears throat> or two more, they know me like you know me for sure. Yeah, they, and I know they it's know, not pretending. They know raw, raw, uncut Joe. And for there, sure. there, it's not so. about pretending to be someone else. No, it's about it's understanding just, that the person you're talking to needs a little bit of a uh, uh, exactly. Of help there, it's about know, adapting to middle, yeah. what they need. Like me and yeah. you talked about this too. Like when I'm when I'm like struggling on my last sets on stuff. You know you can be straight up with me, so you you give me no quarter on any of that shit ever. However, if you're talking with somebody who maybe is a little bit like softer than that, like no offense, then you're doing what's best for them by giving them a little bit of a break. You push there's nothing bad about being someone soft. The world needs both of those. You're not doing that person any favors if you send them home crying. Then they're going to quit their fitness journey. You're going to lose a client and everybody loses absolutely. you know you got to adapt to what your client needs yeah absolutely that's how it is without being fake but you can adapt a little bit so. definitely yeah. um well we got new year coming up soon yes, so sir. uh new year is one of those things you always hear a thousand different people saying their resolution is going to be they're going to get in shape yes sir they're going to lose the most weight they're going to look the best they've ever looked so yep if you're talking to somebody you really care about right now who was coming to you with that same BS, like, Fred, I really want to get in the best shape of my life this year. It's my New Year's resolution. What would be like your best blunt, honest advice to that person to really see them have a successful start to the year versus being one of these people who's already back to their old habits by February? Do you think, and when it doesn't work, comes to me? Okay. I'm usually the last guy people go see. That's my business. I'm not the first one. Okay. Um, so people, when they decide, you know, it's demanding what we do. And obviously, it's not, it's not the most expensive. The return on investment is definitely there, but it's more expensive than most fitness services out there. Um, so usually people would try other stuff first. And it yeah. might work for you. Hey, look, if you go to some generic fitness classes three times a week and it provides you with the results that you want, just do that. You know, it's gonna be easier, it's gonna cost you less. But if you try a couple of things and they haven't worked, well, then come see me and we'll do the real thing. So I don't get those New Year's resolutioners at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a rush in January. Uh, usually my rush is in March. 
So people that like fucked up wave. for too long. And yeah, they try different things. They try one on their own. Maybe they hired a personal trainer. None of that has worked. And then they already knew about my service, but they're like, ah, it's a little bit too expensive. And I'm not willing to do all these things and follow that program. Yeah. But then when they're at that point, then they knocked at the door and I'm, I'm there. So if someone comes to me and say, hey, it's January. I need to get lose weight. I'll be like, like, hey, go to the gym, do your thing, you know, if it doesn't provide the results that you're looking for, just come see me, then we'll fix you. But I don't want to be that first option. That's not what I do. Yeah. I'm also not in the business of convincing people to get fit. I never recruit people. I only help people that already decided they want to get fit. Yeah. So that's one of the things in my business identity that I had to find over time. A lot of people are in the business of getting people through the door and getting them into fitness, which is cool. Yeah. There's a need for that. That's just not what I'm doing, but yeah. that's fine. I've noticed the same kind of thing, you know, because I, when I was newer, I used to find myself convincing people into, mm. into my business way too much. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, oh, I'm not really good at sales. I'm like, no worries. <laughs> it's cool. I'll teach you everything. It'll be amazing. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to yeah. make sure you brush your teeth every morning. I'm going to make sure yeah. it's all okay. And then I do that and I would close them. So get them to join the business. But then I got to convince them every single day to get out of bed again. And it's just, it's a lose-lose situation. It's all effort. So, it's all yeah. effort. When someone sends a referral my way, I'm not trying to convince them to sign up on the service. I'm just there if they want to sign up. I'm going to answer to all their questions yeah. and to be as helpful as I can. But I'm not going to push them on. And like I don't run any promotions. To I, I give a small referral incentive to thanks. Uh, not incentive, but if you send someone in my business, I give them a little discount. Yeah. But um, just to say thank you and hey, you know, I always prefer to have people that come from a friend. Yeah. Um, but I don't try to fish for customers because at the end of the day, I don't win with that. I just reduce the lifetime value of that customer. Right. So instead of having my people staying for five years in the business, they end up staying for six months. And that's just short-sighted because being in the business of scale and not uh, in the business of magnitude and not a scale, I'm not trying to have 10,000 clients here. Yeah. I'm trying to have 50 high value clients. Yep. For you, I mean, I'd say one of the biggest questions you've, you've had, like you've had a long journey to, to success and you're still building, yeah. still got a lot you want to do. Absolutely. But what would you say is what's one of the most valuable lessons you've learned that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life, whether they're in a, you know, a self-employment or a business ownership situation or whether they just want to be a good person like what's one of the most valuable lessons you've learned on your journey that you feel like everyone could benefit from wow you should have sent me that question by email <laughs> yesterday <bro. laughs> uh look i can tell you a couple i might forget some but some things that were meaningful as we if i kind of rolled back the tape earlier in the conversation we talked about um keeping your eyes on your goal and don't get sidetracked too much. It's like even if you have to to uh, do some little fancy moves left and right, try to go towards the same direction, not constantly pivot in a, toward a different project. We've seen that a lot in uh, the young uh, well, entrepreneur. I would say, you remember the other day I told you the, ter the term uh, entrepreneurs. A entrepreneur, yes. So people that are going to do something different every month, it's like, yeah, that's not going to take you nowhere, like the shiny object. It's like if you have a vision, something that think you think that makes sense for you, kind of always go towards that, even if you have to, to uh, uh, jump 
through hoops and, and go left and right a little bit. So that's one thing, you know, try to be focused a little bit. Yeah. Um, another thing would be, well, uh, yeah, that, that focus, I'm just thinking about that focus and it's really important if you can stay, stay sharp on, on that, which is not easy. Cause yeah. You don't know what you want most of the time until you mature a little bit, right? Well, let's, let's focus on that one. So, it, you know, obviously it's incredibly important to keep your eyes on the prize. So what are some, what are some things that you see taking people off of that constantly? Well, so <clears throat> same as uh, one of the parallel with fitness, when you have a setback, look, successful people and unsuccessful, un unsuccessful people all have setbacks. That's not a problem. The difference is that those who advance are those who bounce back pretty quickly. So when you have a setback, it's kind of no big deal. Just move past that fix and then move forward instead of uh, just giving up. But then you have those unsuccessful people that have a setback and just get stuck there for too long. Yeah. And uh, you, you got to move past that. If you did something and launched a product, it didn't work. Like, look, man, I wrote two books. They're not out there anymore. Yeah. No, that was a complete waste of time my app that you see right now that's probably my 11th variation of some online coaching system wow so um yeah <laughs> so when you have something like that it's just it's okay like assimilate it you know maybe uh, uh just chill for a second but then regroup yourself and, and move forward so that that's really what matters just keep going forward and you're gonna get there um, that's uh it might it's going to take the time it's going to take. And another one, well, that's I think that covers the focus side, but it's understanding who you are as an entrepreneur because it might be tempting with all the social media personalities and all the people out there to try to replicate their system and try to be like them, but they're not you. Yeah. They're different people with their different strengths and weaknesses. And you have to understand who you are and what you can do with that. Uh, your deck of cards is different than mine um, yeah. and you got to play your strengths and your weaknesses and by self-analysis and understanding who you are and what you like and where you perform that's things you can use a lot like for example while back to psychology uh, I don't know if you knew but the two biggest predictors of success in career are IQ and the trait of personality called conscientiousness, which is broken down in two, which is industriousness, which means how much you like to work. Some people are hard workers, some people are not. And the other one is orderliness, which is how organized you are versus disorganized. Mm -hmm. So if you have IQ, very high IQ and very high conscientiousness, usually you're very successful. Mm. Someone like me, unfortunately, I'm just very average intelligence. I'm a regular guy. I'm not a genius, I'm not a dumbass, but I'm average. Okay. And I'm not particularly hardworking. I'm not someone who likes to work a lot mm -hmm. um, and moderately orderly. So <laughs> my deck of cards ain't so good. But reflecting on that, I was like, well, what can I do about that? So intelligence, what I figured out looking into it, like kind of analyzing it, if you're intelligent enough, which is average, not a problem. If you're handicapped, then that's an issue, right? Yeah. Um, but most people are just average. That's the average. So what is intelligence? What is IQ? IQ is pretty much brain processing speed. So if you average intelligence, all that's going to happen is that it'll take you a little bit longer to solve certain problems. 
If you're a genius, you might solve a problem within a year. And if you're a person of average intelligence, you're still going to solve it. It might take you three years. Yeah. Can I live with that? Sure. If I was smarter, I would solve problems faster. That's just how it is. You can't increase IQ. So whatever. Yeah. By the way, you can prevent loss of IQ through physical exercise. That's one of the only things that can prevent loss of IQ with age. Nice. So, you know, that's the intelligence. Then you go to the personality, conscientiousness. So industriousness, I'm not very hardworking. What can I do about that? Well, if I'm steady over time, you know, even if I don't put in 12 hours a day, if I put in eight hours, it's just time. Yeah. So still going to get there. And when it comes to orderliness, I know you're very orderly. You got your Excel sheet. I work with a schedule. I'm pretty much a slave of my business. Everything is my calendar. And I wake up in the morning. I don't have to think about what I have to do because it's already scheduled there by my app. So yep. all my appointments, all my little things like that, all my tasks are systemized in my calendar. So I don't have to think about what I do and live with my chaotic personality. I can just wake up, look at my computer. Oh, I need to do this, this and that. Sure. So I kind of look at all these three things, which were all weaknesses, um, in my opinion. I made them work. And to me, that kind of created a path that I can stick with towards success. So understanding yourself. I think is one of the very important things because that will allow you to craft a career or a business or, or some kind of system that works for you. It's like Gary V says, it's just about knowing who the fuck you are, man. He says that? Yeah. Oh man, I hate that guy. <laughs> I know, I know. That's why I threw that's why I threw out a Gary V. I actually yeah. like Gary V, but it's all right. I know you passionately hate him. I just can't relate. Yes. I, I just you. can't relate because him and I are really don't have the same kind of personality. Yeah. It's kind of that uh, super excited Jersey type personality. <laughs> and I'm more that laid back type the of laid dude. back Canadian. Yeah, it would annoy <laughs> the fuck out of me. That's the thing. It's, yeah. like, it's like a little rabbit. You know, it's like, oh, I hear I'm you. Sorry. I hear you. <laughs> well, dude, it was awesome getting to speak with you today. So if, if people want to get in contact with you, want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? It's not hard. Pretty much at the Razor Fit. That's my business uh, pages. So you know, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. So at the Razor Fit yeah. on, on all platforms. Correct. Perfect. Well, awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for being the inaugural first yeah, real Hustle pleasure. Habits guest. Yeah, I'm so, always going to be the first. You're always going to so, be the first. You know, if this so. thing works out, <laughs> I have bragging rights. So, <laughs> Good stuff.